Cannabis Tech Talks, and we have today Mike Connor, president of Easy Green Compliance. How are you, Mike? Great, Chuck. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Uh, so we're out here at New West Summit, uh, out here in San Francisco. Tell us a little bit about um, you know what you're doing here, and uh, you were you were just on a panel, right? I was. So I was on an interesting panel today around compliance in the vaping market and CBD products and what's going on there, uh, which is interesting because I have a client. That is a CBD product, but at the same time, I'm here because I'm uh, the president of a compliance software company that's HIPAA certified, point of sale that integrates with Metric, which is the biggest plant tracking um, program in the United States. I think they're in 16 uh, states. So I focus on protecting patient data, uh -huh. but this was a really fun topic for me today, and I had some wonderful panelists to share the experience with. There's so many different ways we could go with this as far as like, right. you know, compliance and, and getting up to speed and, you know, records and HIPAA. And then there's, I mean, compliance is boring. Yeah. Vape, vapes are hot right now. So whatever you want to talk about. I'm okay. So, uh, so what's going on here? I mean, we've got a, we've got our first, would you say this is kind of our first real um, kind of, kind of crisis, uh, so to speak for the burgeoning industry and everything like that what uh what's your kind of take on this so from a media perspective it looks like a crisis but yeah. if you look at the data and you see i and i don't i'm not 100 percent accurate but i heard in the panel today approximately 22 deaths attributed to vapes now do those death what are the ratio of those deaths attributed to vapes with products that had thc or just CBD, and is it CBD derived from cannabis or CBD derived from hemp? So there's some variables that I haven't heard the answers sure. to in the market. And when you compare 22 deaths in the entire market compared to the amount of deaths around 60,000 a year for opioids, the amount of deaths around alcohol and tobacco, which is 400,000 and 800,000, yeah. it's almost incomparable. But there are some very powerful politicians in this country taking a stance and doing blanket bans in their regions so it's definitely getting, you know, scaring the industry and getting people going. And, the, you know, there's the, what's, the, what's the backlash? So one, consumers that want or need these products don't have an avenue in their regions to get it legally. Yeah. So if they're addicted to these products or they want these products, they're probably going to go to the illegal market. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing is, what are the protocols for the responsible vendors that have licenses, that abide by FDA regulations, that are getting their plants from farms that are approved, their manufacturing facilities are under, so for FDA regulations for um, consumable products is a little bit different than topicals. So there are different things out there that they've educated themselves and invested in those proper facilities. What happens to those folks? That's a, that's really what I wanna know. Yeah, and, and you know, I was just thinking about this yesterday, like people that vape, that's their, that's their thing, that's their jam, you know, and you don't like to be told you can't do something. You know, everybody's got kind of their preferred method of, of consumption or whatever, and I think that, uh, yeah, this is going to be a tough pill to swallow if it, they just start, you know, outright banning and, and things like that. People don't like when stuff is taken away from them. So my brother-in-law in Boston, who is like a character in a, in a, in a movie, as, is a, you know, he's in a union mm -hmm. Hangs out with his buds, loud, tough guy, but he is obsessed with his vape flavors. Yeah. And he would go hang out at the vape store mm -hmm. and talk to others about the vape flavors that are coming out. Because So that's when I realized, and I saw it for myself, like, this is a lifestyle. It is. And they truly appreciate the flavors and the way it makes them feel and yeah. others that they can share those conversations with. So this is going to have some major backlash. And it is immediate. He is not going to stop. He is going to the black market, in my opinion. 
So how do we protect him from doing that and ensuring that those products are safe? One, so there's a kind of a, uh, in the industry, there's, and I, oh, I want to correct. So I was corrected from my panel. So some old school, very, very respected farmers were in the room and on my panel and they corrected one of the speakers and said, this is, do not compare our market to the black market. We are the traditional market. So Mm -hmm. I said, came back to them. I said, can we agree that there's three markets? There's the licensed market, there's the traditional market, and then there is this black market where people are getting products from other countries, they're setting up little manufacturing facilities and apartments, and they're building products, then they're buying from printing companies fake packaging, manufacturing these things and selling them in the street because that's what the kids want online. Yeah. So they're mirroring and mimicking products that are, that are desirable, but there's no way to track that. And the best way that I can see to track that is to connect the consumer with the lab results of the product through a certificate of authenticity or COA. Right. And there are products out there, like a friend of mine has a company in Los Angeles called Creed NC, and he has a federal patent on infusing cannabis, CBD, or THC onto a breath strip. And so that company has a QR code on every single individual product right. that you can click on it as a consumer and it takes you to two COAs. The first COA, is the percentage of the CBD, hemp CBD in the product. And the second C, CB, the second COA is a panel that breaks down all of the tests for metals, funguses, other dangerous things that could be in the product. So when you can see that those aren't in there, that's a safe product. And through, like a no-brainer. And through technology, we can yeah. educate the market of folks that as consumers, I wanna know that it's a safe product because I wanna take it from my body. Because someone told me online it's gonna help with inflammation, it's gonna help me feel better, or it's gonna help with as an alternative to tobacco. Yeah. So you're either gonna buy the product from a retail location or you're gonna buy it online. So my recommendation would be is talk to the retailer yeah. or research the company and call the helpline at the, at the online and say, where are you getting your hemp from? Show me the COA, show me the farm FDA approval because the best farms in the country for hemp are generated from Kentucky, Colorado, and California. So if you can reverse engineer where the product is, there's a better chance that it's gonna be a safe product. If you ask for a COA or you ask for information about the origins of the product and they don't give you an answer, then you know you're mitigating your own risk. You know it's a little bit riskier. Yeah. So for people that want to continue to vape and they want to be educated, I mean this makes perfect sense. I think the one the one area is um, is cost, you know, and these things are going to cost you know a little bit more to to do it the right way to uh, to have those COAs. And you know you have some people out there just like with with anything. They um, they're very cost conscious, you sure. know, and so if they can get, you know, it's like it's like buying a knockoff uh, uh, jersey, you know, or yeah, exactly you know, something like that. It, it looks the same, it kind of feels the same, but it's costing me sixty percent less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're gonna have some people out there that are gonna, you know, probably still go for whatever's cheapest, and therein, you know, lies the problem where you could have. Uh, you know, you don't know what's in it. You don't know if it's if it's safe or not. I would normally completely agree with that statement, but yeah. what I'm seeing because I live on the East Coast, mm-hmm. but I travel across the country to talk about compliance with different commissioners and different retailers. So what I'm seeing on the East Coast, people are getting wholesale product vape pens. Yeah, they're buying them. They're getting them for eight to ten illegally. You know, crossing state lines, getting them into into the East Coast, and then they're selling them from anywhere to twenty to thirty five not based on the safety but on the brand they're very desirable brands that people on the east coast want and they'll pay whatever they think they can to get it because there's some status and there's this culture about saying i have the i have the skittles i Uh have the 
cookies, I have the Alien Lab, I have the Supreme Pen. That's something that's desirable to younger people. Yeah. So that's where I feel like that's like the dangerous part here is like, why don't we focus on finding them a way to get educated and ensure that those products are safe. And if they're not safe, then that's where I think these deaths are attributed to, along with these kids that are so young and they're not, they're all underage, the kids that are getting sick. So they're over consuming. Yeah. They're in school. You can do it in school because you can't get caught blowing smoke in between classes like you could back in the 90s right. when I was a kid. Right. You, you knew who was smoking cigarettes because they stunk and you could see it. It's a lot harder it. to do exactly. it. Yeah, the, yeah. Today, it's so much easier. And you have a lighter and matches right. and some place to right. do it. Here, you just, yeah, right. you just need a vape. And so they're also probably taking 60 to 90 hits a day off of a product. And the way and so the fu- here's the future in my yeah. opinion. There's going to be a, a, a mass adoption of certificate of authenticities for products. And I just found out about this recently, there's gonna be called a super COA, which will also contain the origins of the packaging. So one of the comments from one of the farmers said, hey, if you take this this, uh, CBD concentrate and you put it in a vape pen, and that vape pen has derivatives from another country that's not regulated and there's lead in there, and you light that, the lead and the terpenes can get together in there and you're breathing that in, which is burning your lungs. So if you can see this, the COA of the actual product and ensure that you're not getting on, uh, you know, registered hardware, yeah. that could be another component that we don't see in this marketplace. And that's going to be helpful in the future because people are going to know, I want the products to be organic yeah. and I want the products from the consumption side to be lab tested. And right. if you can have that, then you're going to have a better you know, comfort level to, to enjoy these activities. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. We're going to take a quick break right now, but we wanted to give a shout out to this episode's sponsor, Agronomic IQ. Agronomic IQ is the smartest, most advanced temperature, humidity, and environmental control equipment in the world. Remember when we had the, uh, the romaine lettuce? You know, yes. outbreak, yes. right? And they decided, they pulled romaine lettuce mm-hmm. off the shelves everywhere, all across the country. If they had some way of tracking, you know, where exactly that that bad lettuce came from, then, you know, maybe you wouldn't have to have a widespread, you know, ban. But, um, you know, just, just like in the lettuce, you know, agriculture industry or whatever, it, it does become important to be able to kind of, you know, work your way back and figure out where where this came from. Um, so you, you think self-regulation is going to be... You just threw me a softball on the data side, so I'm going to be, yeah. going to be boring for a second. So, it's teed up. So Metric, uh-huh. BioTrack, MJ Freeway, Kind Agrisoft, Flourish, track the plant matter, which mm-hmm. is from when it's grown to when it's sold. Yeah. There is no regulations in the United States for hemp-derived CBD, which is scary. Wow. Because so, it's bigger, right? It's a bigger It's much market. bigger. It's yeah. much bigger. And it's, and it's a textile market as well. So some hemp CBD is made for manufacturing, clothing, and furniture. Sure. And then there's this whole big craze right now to say, hey, this is going to interact with the intercannabinoid system in your body yeah. and help you reduce inflammation, help you with energy, help you with anxiety. And then we're going to use other uh, infusions to make you feel excited, relaxed, uh, you know, different, different things. So they're cutting it with different things. So we're figuring it out. But if there was a tracking system for all these products similar to seed to sale tracking mm-hmm. implemented across a, from a federal level across the country then you could do that and what, when we built our software tracking patients and revenue when we integrated with metric we realized metric tracks every product there's a batch and a lot number from where it was grown then there's a metric id 
that when you bring it to the retail, but you, this, this bottle of water with the metric ID and a dispensary could be one of 100. But we added serialization, so this is number 77. So we can actually individualize every wow. single product so you can see uh, where a product was sold, if a product was lost, uh, if it's not going where it was intended to go, or if it's been on the shelf so long that you need to recall because it's expired. Mm. And serialization will be the future. And what we, when we came in, we came from pharmaceutical dispensing software. Yeah. We didn't realize that a lot of SaaS, which are free software services available to every other industry, is not available to the cannabis industry because companies that give free software licenses for CRM, uh, rewards programs to communicate with your customers, uh, manage the, the way in which you set up your schedule for your employees. They don't want to give those free software systems to license to corporations with cannabis licenses because they don't know if they have any liability. So it's wow. really challenging to yeah. come into a space, get double taxed under 280E and yeah. not have any of the free software solutions available to optimize your business. And so I see their parallel industries, but as software becomes more readily available through regulations, software will be free for everybody everything will be tracked properly yeah. and it will be a safe experience for, for our parents that are going to benefit from this more than us mm -hmm. for these products. And I want my mom to be able to feel confident to take CBD and THC together for anything that she's got going on and not one, be embarrassed because of society and two, not know where it came from because currently I have to take products from California yeah. to bring her back to the East coast because I can't get them available on the East coast wow. for what she needs. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's crazy how important technology is and data is and everything in this industry, but it seems like there's a lot of there's a lot of hurdles and a little, you know, for, for this industry that is, is, is gearing up and it's it's I mean, there's a wave that's coming right now. It's it's an awesome time, but there are still legitimate challenges to uh, you know implementation of this of this technology and it's important that you guys are out here, you know, kinda so the, the, Push it to the, front. the one comment I have on that is the industry is segregated because you have 33 states that allow cannabis or CBD to some degree. Mm -hmm. They do not communicate because it's not federally regulated. So these regulators and policy writers that are yeah. writing laws in these states. Yeah. I was at the, the commission hearing in Maryland uh, two Thursdays ago and I hung out with some commissioners afterwards. They're like six months out of law school. They were hired to write policy on cannabis. Mm -hmm. No experience. The, and they don't want to screw up and, and have a write a policy or recommend something that they get their name in the paper. So there's a transfer of knowledge gap across the country yeah. that if somebody like New West Summit or someone else could create a panel and allow regulators to communicate with their peers and say, hey, what was your strategy for your edible roll-up plant? How do you deal with recreational packaging? What's going on and how are you approaching the illegal vape market? These are the right questions, but there's just no way for them to communicate because they don't have federal referendum meetings where they can have these general conversations. So one of the things that I do when I talk to regulators and I hear that they're going through something that another one just dealt with, I try to make introductions so that they can have those conversations because it's easier for them to talk amongst themselves right. than to talk to vendors or to talk to consumers that are very passionate about the industry. Well, some of these states, their rollouts have been so clunky. Yes. Um, it, it makes you wonder why not why not model after some of the states that did it? And most would say did it pretty well. You know, I think most people would say Colorado yes, did yeah. it pretty well. Uh, even Washington, right? You know, yeah. they, they did pretty good. Um, Oregon, there's some, mm -hmm. some issues or whatever. But some of these states, back east and everything like that, it's it seems like they're really trying to reinvent the wheel. There's a conservative um, presence in the East Coast. Uh, However, there is such an opioid diversion crisis going on 
that those conservative views are getting pushed aside mm. to do that. So there are four states now that I know of. There's Maryland, New York, New Jersey, and Illinois that have mandated the cannabis database be managed under HIPAA standards, which is a federal regulation to protect patients' rights. And they do that because they want medical doctors that are dealing with opioid patients to allow them to take their patient profiles, get them into the cannabis database, and give them an alternative to getting 30 days of pills. Let's try cannabis and see if it helps some of your ailments. So the problems of opioids are overcoming the bad, you know, conservative views on cannabis. And so that's a good thing. Yeah. But if there was a way for them to communicate, which I don't have an answer, I'm just right. observing. If we could find a way for regulators to freely communicate across state lines in different, in different sectors, you would see a faster adoption and easier implementation. And when you can track the plants, you can track the patients, you can track the revenue, then you can get bank accounts because you can show the FDIC that there's no money laundering and there's no organized crime. And aside from the two audits they require a month, everybody can get bank accounts, which will therefore reduce the risk of license holders that are being targeted for, you know, getting getting uh, uh, robbed because they think they're running around with bags of money. Yeah. Do you think do you think the ideal scenario, and you know, who knows when we're going to get there, is legalization federally medical? Is that kind of like, and then let the states decide, you know, on on the rec side. But at least if it was legal federally, you know, because it's it's pretty much indisputed that there are medical benefits, and I think that you know even the most conservative, you know, places can see that. Do you think that that is yes. kind of the most realistic scenario? Yeah, but I'm going to say yes, but and this, there's a lot of emotional people that get mad at me for saying this. Yeah. I come from pharmaceutical dispensing mm-hmm. best practices. So I see a lot of synergy in the cannabis space. And yes, the medical program is important, but people feel that recreation is gonna take over. But I will tell you that if you look at, if you study the data of all the lobby dollars that are spent at the federal level and all of the insurance companies and and companies that make money off prescribing medication, they're not gonna let this go wreck all the way because they would be losing billions of dollars, which they're already losing in opioids, that's one. Follow the money. The second thing is you can still track wreck. Because every day, if you go into the United States and you buy over-the-counter uh, products that have like Sudafed that have things in there you can make uh, crystal meth or other things like that with, there you have to show your ID. Mm-hmm. Every state in America has a prescription drug monitoring portal that tracks all the opioid sales, but also an OTC, which is over-the-counter purchase that you don't need a, a re- you don't need a not a recommendation any prescription for of a Sudafed is tracked. So if at the end of the day one of us went and bought 10 Sudafeds in the state of, you know, Maryland. Maryland would know and they would be sharing that information with the DEA or some side of a regulatory side and say, look at this person, they're acting irregular in their purchase habits. So, and that's a rec market because it's right. not regulated. So there's still a way to track it and allow. But the real problem that I also see to make it even more complex, it's rich white guys are making all the money in this industry and it doesn't reflect the lower socioeconomic zip codes that have been put in jail for this for, for generations. Right. So in New York, the initiative is, there's a great guy there named Axel Barnaby who works with the governor's office who's rolling this program out uh, to try to explore how to let it go recreationally. The medical market, it was like a 40 or $50 million minimum to even apply for a license. So no female, no one of diversity won any license. So as they open up rec, they want to mandate certain uh, you know, like a like a, a coding system. So you were arrested for this, or you're in a lower lower socioeconomic zip code. You can get a manufacturer license, you can get a distribution license, you can get a retail license. But if you don't give them a transfer of knowledge of how to run it, right. with compliance, they're gonna get shut down. 
So there has to be a program, a, or in my opinion, some type of a technology training to allow anybody that participates in this space the same level of compliance to compete with big business because big business is going to come in and eat everybody up by dropping their margins and just forcing blocks. you out yeah. or by catching you not being compliant, you're going to get you're going to get a hit and you're going to lose your license. So that's yeah. the other thing that makes us really, it's like three different polarizing things moving this tornado forward and it's like, how do you address that to keep it going forward? And there have to be, there have to be good standards and then, then those regulators could share those standards with other states. Hey, Here's how we included, here's how we did, uh, you know, diversity. Here's how we, here's where we manage that. And when that social equity, they call it in California, and when they can also add that, then the industry will grow. Yeah. But until then, that's another thing stopping this from just going forward 110 miles an hour. Well, it's, uh, it's fascinating. I feel like I could talk to you like all day about this stuff because this is, uh, you know, this is, this is where it's all happening. We're at the epicenter right now mm -hmm. of, of, of all these big big changes and of course technology coming in and uh, you know innovation and yep. you know trying to do things the right way it's an altruistic type of industry but you know at the same token it's a business and uh, and it's just real fascinating to see you know all of this kind of kind of coming to light right now and, and here at New West you know educating people and and informing them um, so really appreciate your time here tell tell our audience uh, where can they find you where can they uh, reach out to you or so uh, if you just go to easygreencompliance.com I have a blog on there so our model is we give away all of our trade secrets from the farmer industry for protecting information and unfortunately nobody cares about HIPAA today nobody cares about GDPR so we also spend a lot of time coming up with ways to optimize the retail experience for business owners and license holders and we put a lot of blogs on our site so that's something which is free information and we love to hear from people out there so just Check out that website, and uh, I'm really enjoying myself in the space. It's a lot of fun, and I'm excited to see where it goes next. And it's going you bring in a lot direction. of knowledge, and uh, and that's what we need. We need more people in this space that are bringing knowledge from you know other industries because really that's the way we're gonna you know that's the way we're gonna move this thing forward. Exactly. Let's so, not reinvent the wheel. Anyways, hey, thanks so much, Mike. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Chuck. Appreciate right. it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Cannabis and Tech Talks. And if you like this podcast, uh, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. And don't forget, um, make sure you check out our award-winning magazine. You can find it at any Barnes & Noble um, and on site at most of your favorite cannabis events. And uh, don't forget to follow us on social media so you can stay in the conversation. And visit our website, cannatechtoday.com. 